from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Pulled down by Minsa. They have the one timeout. Are they going to take it or not? They don't have the scores on the floor. It's Butler with two seconds. He's got to put it up. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Cofield and Company. No Steve Cofield. I'm fired up. Jonathan Von Tobel, Willie Ramirez, as we have uh, lovingly referred to these shows as. Von Tobel y Los Vatos. We are in for the next two and a half hours, carrying you up to a massive pregame for the national championship, San Diego State. And UConn, you hear the call from CBS TV on Butler's game winner and that matchup against FAU with the UConn final call. I'm not going to lie. So I'm excited for what is going to transpire. We'll get to that. I'm also extremely thrown off. This is my first time in the new studios. And it looks really nice. So the powers that be a Lotus, so this is not a complaint. It looks very good. These are, these are very good studios. But I'm not going to lie. Radio is a, an art form, Willie, of conversation. I don't like looking right at you. Well, here's the thing. Life's made of choices. There are two other seats, two other microphones. You chose that Well, see, one. here's the thing. So, no, no. Well, this is it. So I don't know if you have this deal, because I do. I don't like sitting with my back to, like, a window or, like, in restaurants. I will actively choose to sit being able to look at the restaurant. I'm the same way. Yeah, I don't really like but, so having in this, activity but, behind me. Well, see, here's the thing. In this case, you're contradicting yourself because – in this studio, you're back to the window. Nobody can get to you from here, but you would be looking out at the entire studio. No, so in this, you're somewhat, yeah, no. There could be activity behind you within the studio. I mean, so it makes really sense not to sit there. There's a wall behind me. Okay, well, I'm just saying. Yeah. Now, this, I will just, I won't name names. Mm. We've had interlopers oh, like, yeah. in the we window can, and whatnot. Close like, the I'm thing. just, yeah, I'm not. We could close it for you. This does not, so I don't want, I don't want you. Uh, I don't want to get too intimate. I won't reveal the other details as Listen, to why I don't like you're things starting to You're starting to let your Gorman show, bro. All right? My Gorman? Yeah. I'm happy, man. It's a good day. It's a big day, actually. A big day. Now, you don't feel like – I don't feel like you're in a good mood. I feel like you're unhappy. What's going on? I'm in a great mood. I went to the gym. I plowed through my push day. Even got a little bit of my – I brought some of the post-workout meal with me. Had some at home. I thought you were upset because it's a national holiday. And oh, yeah. Well, national don't go to work unless it's fun day. So, And I put, so why am I here? I mean, because I'm hosting. If it was Cofield, I, mean, I think that's the difference, right? If it was Cofield, you got to take the day off. I mean, I think that's why Ari's here, right? So you say, so realistically, Cofield's not here. Don't go to work unless it's fun. We should be making this fun. Right. National championship so, day. Right. You and I get to hang out. It's fun. Our, well, all right. Steve being here makes it not fun, thus you would not go to work. Well, that's the, that's here's the, the thing. Process. It can be fun. It, the problem is is when, when we got Steve in the house, he, he, he just uh, Ari becomes a worry worry. He's making sure he's, he's on his P's and Q's. He's dotting I's, crossing T's. And by the time he's done, he's got 17 I's and 12 crosses across the T yeah. because he's so worried. So Steve just adds a little tension. He That's does, all. a little bit. Yeah. Also, the energy kind of gets weird sometimes. Like, you walk in, and it'll be, like, dead quiet, like a mausoleum, and Steve's, like, super upset. 
And then the mic opens up, and he's like, all right, what's up, John? How's it going? And I'm like, I don't know how to deal with that shift in energy like right off the bat. It you takes know? everywhere. So I come in, man. Yeah. I got a level playing field. You know, I'm always keeping the same energy. Yeah. It's a big day. And, I'm and you're, emphasize it. And you're excited because there's a lot of things going on that some people may not be, but for you, like – we got March Madness. Mm-hmm. We're about to hit the NBA playoff crunch time. It's right up, and baseball started. Yep, baseball's oh underway. Did you get your angel that. hat on? You're, you're pumped. I'm also I'm putting it on like like kind of thick here yeah. on local radio because okay. there is a chance that Will Levis is listening right now. Yeah, and I'm kind of hoping that maybe Will Levis will hear this, and once his post football career is done, he'll harken back to the time he visited the Las Vegas Raiders, as he is reportedly doing today, yeah. and be like, "Hey, you know what? When I'm starting my Pat McAfee type media empire, maybe John Von Tobel is going to be somebody." It, I there's, there's actually a very good chance, depending on which office he's in, because some at the facility will have our sister station, Raider Nation Radio, with Q on, or some will have ESPN Radio. You really? never know. Okay. Josh McDaniels, what's up? So yeah. Will Levis in the building for the Las Vegas Raiders, reportedly visiting today. I think really it's just it's obviously draft due diligence. I believe they are reportedly going to or have already visited with Anthony Richardson. So this is going to be part of the process. I saw Raiders Reddit freaking out about this uh, earlier today about mm-hmm. them him being in. Right. You're going to see this a lot. This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to visit with these guys. You're supposed to break bread with them, talk to them. Yeah. It's also why, like, when people were freaking out about C.J. Stroud going to dinner with the Panthers, it was like, yeah, they're going to have dinner with everybody. And sure enough, they did with Bryce Young and with Anthony Richardson. So part of the deal. The Raiders will not with C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young for one reason. This is why everyone's like, oh, well, are they going to trade up to get Levis or, or Richardson? But I don't think they're going anywhere because if they were going to trade up, like I'm hoping – I'm thinking – not I'm hoping – I'm thinking they're hoping that one of these two is still around if they decide to go the route of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would have met with, their, or they would bring Stroud and Young to town. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they still will, but they would bring them to town. So if that's the case, then there's 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 the thought process of trading. Because you're going to trade up for one of those two. Why are you not bringing one of the other two in and thinking about trading up for them? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think a guy like Will Levis makes a lot of sense, especially if – there are those out there that believe he would fall under the umbrella of, I put up my air quotes, project, right? Mm-hmm. Guy who wants to sit back and learn a system, big-armed type of dude that would work well and learn well behind a Jimmy Garoppolo type, so that might be the case here. But it's a pretty big day for the Raiders to get in. Potentially, what could be their future quarterback of the next 10-plus seasons. You right, because know. because Jimmy G, obviously, they brought him in to be the quarterback for now mm-hmm. and, and, and the guy. And be that two years, three years, five years, whatever the case is, or however long McDaniels and Ziegler last, he's the bridge to a younger guy who's going to have to learn the system, not Jared Stidham, obviously, my guy. Um, so, so whoever they bring in, they obviously want him to learn. And if they're going for one of the top five quarterbacks that's available this year, then, yes, they want to bring him in. I would assume Jimmy G's going to be there to, to sort of meet him, and, and, and I, would, I would imagine. I don't know. When I'd also think they're not done it. Like they, even if it's not Will Levis, they're going to add another quarterback at some point. They only yeah. have Chase Garvers on the roster right, right now right, outside right, of Jimmy right, Garoppolo. Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. so they're looking around. Right. Even I'm just if saying if they're, if, they're, if they're looking to grab one of the top four or five. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and then now you got Jimmy G as the bridge guy to the younger whomever. It's a nice little fit. But, yes, no, they're, they're – uh, you know, they're, it's it, – that's the hot topic right now in Henderson. You know, are they going to stay at seven and hope that someone's around? Are they going to get the best defensive possible, uh, the best possible defensive player that's left? Who are they going to grab? You know, they've slowly been trying to sign 
free agents and 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 re-sign some guys. Um, we have seen a bit of a focus on the defensive side of the ball. They got their main focus in getting their quarterback, but I really do think that they need to solidify the stop unit as a whole um, and, and focus on what they're going to do in the draft in its entirety from start to finish and have every single angle covered because this is not just an important season, but it starts in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And you and I will be on tomorrow together, I believe, right? Sure. I just got the thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. I'm here. Okay. Well, guess what? I tomorrow forgot. we have women's and men's national championships done. That's right. It's officially draft watch for us because it's countdowns on. So, yeah. If it's on, if it's on for us, it oh, better be on, on for the Raiders. It's been on. Yeah. Also on, as you mentioned, national championship game. How excited are you for this? Because that's like I'm still I, right. Dude, I have been saying since last week the of my era, and remember, I've been here since '72, so I've been through all of the Final Fours UNLV. This was the best, and as far as I'm concerned, for college basketball, this is the best Final Four you could have asked for because it goes beyond the whole blue blood. Uh, you know, got to have the same old teams come in. The, it, the narratives and the storylines, like to be down there and just write endlessly. Like I wish I could have gone down there and just sat there and banged out stories, even for WGRamirez.com, just to bang out stories for my, like find little five, 600 word features. You know how many storylines there had to have been? Fantastic stories. So I'm looking forward to it because it's 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 the matchup that nobody expected. And yet, it's a matchup that everybody should be excited for because these yes. are these are blue blood programs. I don't think there's any question about it. They they San certainly Diego play St- like them. San Diego State is a West Coast blue blood program. Like they well, no, have it's been- a nationwide because look at the success rate. It, you you would know this off the top of your head, maybe possibly, but isn't it like over the last five years or ten years or since Dutch took over or since Steve Fisher that like as far as record wise and postseason and everything? Yeah. No, they haven't gone that far, but. Successful programs, they're right up there. They believe they're. T- I know for sure they're top ten in wins over that stretch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't know if it's eighth or seventh, whatever it is, but they are up there. So yeah. it's a blue blood program, and UConn, obviously with the multiple national championships, are blue blood programs. The ratings, as we looked at, the nation maybe TV ratings are a little down, but I think you kind of see that generally from time to time. After the regional finals, you got a tournament average nine point one one million viewers. The regional finals down six percent from two thousand twenty two. Whatever that means, look, if you were people watching because of the teams or maybe people just not interested in college basketball, who knows what it actually means. But I will say that generally it kind of follows the sports betting deal. Like the handle on a national championship game in March Madness is actually much lower than you think it is because everybody's more excited about the first rounds and the upsets. And as it kind of burns along and there's fewer and fewer games, you kind of actually get less eyes on it. So the hardcores more stick around. But I'm excited. These are Good programs and blue blood programs at that with a deep and storied history of good basketball. Speaking of history and basketball, mm. let's take our break here because on the other side, we have Sonny Vaccaro is going to join us, huh? Yeah. Former Nike guy. I think, is there, is there a movie coming out about Sonny? A little something like that. And I got a, I got a blast from the past Adidas story that I could share with him. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at MeJVT or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. La tiene Potter por la derecha, buscaba la falta contra Poi. Potter levanta el doble camino. ¡Sí! ¡Increíble! ¡En la chicharra! ¡Ramón Potter! ¡Mantiene el sueño vivo para los Aztecas de San Diego State! ¡No pide tiempo fuera! ¡Y el mismo se encarga en uno contra uno de acabar con el sueño de los Bulls! 
Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. It's Rafael Hernandez Brito, Westwood One, Spanish call of San Diego State's Lamont Butler's game winner from over the weekend. A big weekend, man. Can't wait to see what the Aztecs have in store later today against UConn. You can listen to that, by the way, here on ESPN 1100-100.9 FM. Pre-game starts at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. So we open up. It's a big day. It's also a big week. Opening up later this week in theaters, of course, air courting a legend. Story of Sonny Vaccaro and uh, Nike pursuing basketball rookie. I think we've heard of him, Michael Jordan. And uh, to talk about that, it is the aforementioned Sonny Vaccaro is with us now. Sonny, we appreciate the time, sir. Thank you very much. And I will just open up with this. When you were going through what this is now is, a movie, did you think that in, I don't know, 2023, a movie would be being released and you would be being played by Matt Damon, of all people? Heck no, I didn't. And I, I want to emphasize that heck, 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 without using other words. No, it couldn't, wasn't possible. I, my mind entirely was on making a living at that time, doing something that the people I worked for asked me to try and do, and it worked out beyond... Whatever, whatever I am today, this movie, you know, the beginning of being being with Michael Jordan spurred me on to allow me to have a good life. And also, it's nice to talk to everyone in Las Vegas. I know that's where you're hosting from, and that I spent a lot of time in Las Vegas. My brother there, and, and Michael gone, and everybody else. So I wanted to get a quick hello in there. But go ahead, you guys. Uh, well, Sonny, I appreciate it. And actually, I work uh, I work for a uh, – my main job is over at VSIN. It's a sports betting company out there in the South Point. So I see your brother a lot. Jimmy's a uh, – I would say a good friend of mine. So I love Jimmy very much. So let me ask you this. When it comes to this movie, uh, in terms of what the story is, is there something in this movie that people are going to watch that you're really excited for them to see that might not actually be a well-known story when it came to courting Michael Jordan? Well, I don't – I think what they showed in the movie isn't well-known – you know, because it was 1984. That era is over with. It was a long time ago. And then I think where everyone picked it up, you know, in the next generations was the shoe itself. But the beginning of this was something that was just unpredictable. It was, it was an outbed. You, 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 I never thought I'd be in a position to be asked to come to a meeting to figure out who was going to be someone who's going to save Nike you know, by getting a star basketball player. They had basketball players, but no one like this. And they, they had athletes that they never uh, used as uh, advertised. So that was all rare. I mean, that was rare air at that time. So it changed uh, the lives of Nike, obviously. It changed the business of Nike. And it changed the lives of a lot of other things. But marketing was the rain thing. So as to your question, I had no clue why I was brought in. Only God knows why I remembered Michael Jordan making the shot against Georgetown because that was the one, one and only memory I had of him at that time. And I was obviously rooting for Georgetown because I was a good friend of John Thompson and the Hoyas. They were signed by me and Nike. Uh, so I, I never knew Michael didn't play in my All-Star game, Dean Smith or Converse, and I never met Dean Smith in my life at that time, nor had I ever talked to Michael before that first meeting at uh, Tony Roman. So I shocked beyond belief. Speaking with Sonny Vaccaro, former sports marketing executive, of course, known for his tenure with Nike, but so many others, so many others. And, and Sonny, um, I would like to go beyond before 1984, before Michael Jordan, because Las Vegas has become such a, you, as you said, you spent time out here. This is now a pro sports town, but long before there were pro sports, there were the running rebels. And even before that, when AAU got started, there were like three or four gentlemen. There was Ron Montoya, Larry McKay, John Fair. 
Carroll. These guys helped Jim Allen. These guys helped put summer basketball on the map. I remember growing up here, there were only four teams at the time. And then all of a sudden, you come in the mix, bring Nike to Las Vegas, and the Nike Invitational was born. Can you just share some some memories about that? Because you helped put summer AAU basketball on the map with those four gentlemen from Vegas who I mentioned. And all of them were involved before I was there, before anybody was there. I remember going to the, the old South gym early just to watch some games because of the park. So, but the big time tournament you're referring to, that did change the world because it went from starting with 48 teams the first year I thought we should bring, you know, and I call it the big time because it was just something you, I would say in Las Vegas at the time. But what it evolved into is what it is today. That tournament, either Las Vegas has basketball almost every day of the year now. Uh, I mean, whether it's college, whether it's going to be professional, and certainly summertime. Summertime, that opened the door right. for everything was the big-time tournament, yes. Well, to be honest, and I was speaking of the Nike invite because that was before the big-time came. In the 80s, you would help bring Nike to those gentlemen with that invitational. And then in 1995, you came to Vegas out of the ABCD camp, which you founded, and... I met you, that was the first time I met you, and, and we did a story, you and Larry McKay, I'll never forget, on the front of the Review Journal, you were sitting at, at like the, the scorer's table, and we, and we used that photo, but I asked you, I said, hey, look, this is supposed to be the year of the big man, but there's one guy that I kind of want to tail all, all week long, and I'd like to do some stories for USA Today, and you introduced me to the one and only Kobe Bryant. And I, I, now, I, now I put together why you went back to the the Nike, you know, the Nike thing. That's when I was with Nike. Yes. And I was sort of supporting what what they were doing over at the South Gym, I believe it was. Yes, at the South Gym. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so I got a little mixed up because then the big time came and yeah. that opened up every door to everything. But we really started on that small level. Those guys started the whole thing. There's no question in my mind that they, they were the pioneers of whatever, but they were limited to what they could do. And to be very honest with you, uh, no one was really accepting Las Vegas then. I mean, to, to send your kids in for the summer, for a week, for two weeks, that wasn't really in vogue. I mean, we knew we had problems when they banded everybody. When they banded, Especially, I'll speak of the big time right now, I wasn't allowed to put kids into casinos that had gambling. So we had to put them all at the Motel 6s. Not that that was bad, right. but I'm saying that's how biased and prejudiced was the NCAA was of the summer tournaments being held in Vegas. And God, do I love what's happening now in Vegas. But hey, you take me where you want to. But that, that's the story, <laughs> and they were the pioneers. Sonny Vicaro with us. Again, AIR releases this week the story of Sonny and Nike pursuing Michael Jordan at the time in his rookie year. So, Sonny, I'm, I'm curious, how much does the movie dive into what has transpired since? Because the cultural impact, right, of getting Michael Jordan in the shoe brand and what it means now today where, like, there's sneakerheads who are, of course, really tied into what happened with the Jordan shoes. I buy my son a new pair of Jordans every year for his birthday. My cousin does. Like, it, this has been such a cultural impact in terms of what you guys did with Michael Jordan and what it has grown into. How much does this movie actually explore what has happened, the ripple effects of it afterwards? What it did was tell you how we get there and how Mrs. Jordan was the key person in the whole meeting there. What, what that movie is going to show and what I'd like to say on your show is Michael Jordan, in my mind, you know, they had the GOAT in, in the game, basketball. The GOAT is, in my opinion, every decade, there's a Chamberlain or Bill Russell, whoever the hell it is, right? Every, every, 
every 10 years we sort of had, and like LeBron is now, the next guy will be this kid, you know, uh, from France. But my point, my point I'm making to you, Michael Jordan opened up something that your son and everyone else's son are going to, sneakerheads. He opened up something that no one knew existed. First of all, he opened up marketing. Second of all, he opened up to athletes getting reimbursed by two companies or anyone else that they were involved with. They own a piece of the company. Michael the first guy to do that. But despite Lee and, 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 and what Nike did after Michael signed this shoe, Michael, or, uh, uh, Michael now in my world, he is the one person that could live forever because of this shoe. Not because he was one of the greatest basketball players, because of Air Jordan, because it had a life of its own. A lot of the kids, and probably the son, doesn't know what he did after he got injured and came back and scored 60 points or something against the Celtics after he was injured. He doesn't know the championships, Michael. He knows who he is, but he doesn't know what he did to make it. Michael Jordan is an entity unto himself, and the shoe is the entity lives forever. That'll live forever. Once again, speaking with the legend, Sonny Vaccaro, um, formerly of Nike, sports marketing executive, helped put, uh, you know, sh- sh- Nike, if you will, uh, on a larger map. Sonny, i got to ask you, um, you know, during that time in, in the 90s when you had left Nike and then you were with Adidas and eventually you went to Reebok and Reebok took over the big time, all those things, all those transitions, when making this movie, I'm assuming you were on as a production assistant to at least, or as a consultant to make sure the story was told correctly, was there any part that was difficult because of the falling out with Nike or did you have to find yourself putting that aside to, to sort of stay objective to make sure the story was told because obviously that was a great time of your life? No, good story, and I'm glad you asked that one. 1984, I got married to Pam. George Raveling was my best man in the wedding. Yeah. Okay? He was the assistant Olympic coach to Bobby Knight in the 84 Olympics. Phil Knight, you know, came to my wedding with his wife. They were my friends. Phil Knight gave me a start. Michael Jordan gave it a jet start. But this movie, and you got to go look at it, at what happened during the time of Jordan, but really what happened in a three-and-a-half-month period, it took three-and-a-half months to get Michael finally to acquiesce because of his mother, the Rural. At the end, she had the last vote in this. I, you know, I'm, that's said in the movie. The only thing that I don't, you know, can't attest to, because I, I, I was a consultant, I spent that much time with Matt personally. We did a Zoom for like an hour and a half to first time that he realized that, you know, that I realized that he was going to play me in the movie. We, I, I was on the set. Um, I, we, and I went down to the set. We spent six hours down there. We met, we met everybody that day except Viola because her, hers was the last scene to stop. So to say, what, what, don't conscrew here, my feelings toward Nike or Adidas or Reebok or anything else I may or may not have agreed with later in my life has nothing to do with this movie. They were my best friends. You know, Phil was very good to me when he signed me. You know, he, he gave me a chance. Whatever happened at the end, that happens in business. You, you adjust and you go on. You have a competitive nature, which I certainly did. I, I competed against my friends. But that has nothing to do with this this movie, other than locations on some of the, the things. There's a scene in there where I gamble, and I love to gamble. And I usually gamble <laughs> the, you know, at Michael's place, probably, you know, at the old Barbary Coast. But my point was, I uh, they did that at the, the poker club down in, Los Angeles. You guys probably know about that. 
So those scenes were shot mostly on site and, and reinforced however they do it in Hollywood. But that's the only thing. Mrs. Jordan, the things I, the, the conversation I had with the individuals, and Rob Strausser, who, who's obviously in the movie, he was a guy that suggested we go after it. Phil Knight bought into it. Peter, Peter Moore designed our shoe, and, and the air was, you know, Jordan was made. Sonny, we, we, a lot of people, I think, were surprised because one of the things that came out about this movie as it was created and was bantied about, uh, Michael Jordan is, is not like a full, fully flushed-out character in this movie. Was that an artistic decision? Uh, why is there not a central role for Michael Jordan in all this? Because Ben Affleck said the movie will move better because there's nothing, no one doesn't have an opinion on Michael right now. Smart. There were no basketball games because there were no basketball games in. Mm-hmm. Ben, ben, and he explained it to me when, when we had our meetings together and explained why. Because then it would be a, a misconstrued movie because you, you're not expecting the drama. It wouldn't have been dramatic yeah. if Michael had been included yeah. because you, it would all been about Michael. And, and to be honest, I only met Michael one time in person at Tony Rose. Like I said, I didn't care about you know North Carolina and you know, and I didn't pick up my All Star game. So the story is intensely built on a three and a half month relationship and how it evolved. And how the whole, and how Mrs. Jordan got involved in it. I mean, there, you know, David Falk was one of the premier, and still, I guess he's he's a an agent right now. He represented Nike. He's in there. Only nine or ten people are in the whole movie for an hour and four, you know and a half, whatever, forty five minutes. So you're going to get what your son's going to get. What you're all going to get when you watch this movie here is this is how the sausage was made. Pretty damn close. Yep. Again, Air, according to legend, comes out this week. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, the son, uh, the story of Sonny Vaccaro and Nike in their pursuit of Michael Jordan. Sonny, it was really great to talk to you, sir. Thank you very much for the time and looking forward to the movie. Well, I hope you all like it. And someday, you know, let's call them BS about something else. All right. You got it, you got it Sonny. Thank you very much. <laughs> I right. appreciate it. God bless. Bye bye. Again, Sonny Vaccaro. It's going to be a good one. And actually, it's it, that was first off, that was a great question to ask. I will give you credit for that one to ask about Michael Jordan. It's a great answer as well in terms yeah. of what the story is. And Dude, that's a great I, I wouldn't line. even have thought that is fantastic. Uh, ben Affleck saying uh, no, because in, in essence, what he's saying is then the whole movie, then you steal the show. Right. You steal, steal the spotlight. The spotlight's supposed to be on Sonny. It's also a great line. What did he say? I only met him once. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, what? How about, how about when he said, uh, and I love to gamble, so I go down to Michael's place. I, I'm assuming he said Michael Jordan, but I've had, but I'm wondering, Michael did he mean Michael Gone? gone. Did I, he say Gone? I don't, he just said Michael, so I don't so know. I, it had to have been Michael Gone, right? Maybe it's just another Michael that we don't know. Oh, maybe I'm just wondering. Barbary Coast would have been a nice low key spot for Jordan. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to lvsportsnetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. AG got the rebound. Here are the Aztecs down. One, four, three. Lamont Butler. Lamont Butler. Pull up jump shot. They're staying on the court. They're staying on the court. Who's going to the championship game? Not FAU. No, no, no. The San Diego State Aztecs are going to the NCAA championship game. How about them Aztecs? You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Steve Cofield's best friend there, Ted Leitner. Aztecs Radio on the call. Can I say... I wasn't really impressed with the call. 
I just there was not really much detail in it. You didn't really know what was really happening if you actually listened to it again. Not impressed. Not a great call. Hmm. I we have four different calls of that game winning shot. Actually five, including the intro. I think that's the worst one. Just saying. Not enough excitement for a home or hometown radio, well, right? It's not even the excitement. It was like he because I uh, so when I'm listening to radio, I like details, right? Like where is he on the court? What's happening? Yeah. And you're not really getting that from Lightner's call. It's more like five seconds, four seconds. They won, and it's like, wait, what happened? Like, right. what did he do? Did he go right? Did he go left? Was yeah, it a yeah, jumper? Yeah. Like, what's happening? Off the dribble, step yeah, up. Like, tell me what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. I get you're caught up in the moment. When you first saw the shot from the angle, you were watching it live. I thought it was in. You did, yeah. So the angle, maybe it was just the way I was sitting. I don't know on my big screen, but I'm watching it, and for some reason, I just thought it was off killed off to the left. I'm going, and then when it hit, I was like, wow. This whole time I'm watching it. I'm thinking that, like, I'm trying to watch. I always do that. Yeah. Whether I'm in the arena or at the gym, the first thing I do is I try to center the ball in the center of the rim. Yeah. When we were sitting up top for the Sweet 16, right? I, or, yeah. It's actually a pretty good vantage point. Yeah. I got a good read on a lot of those shots. Yeah. And I'm so you, and you can pretty much tell, like, yeah. okay, this one's on. Or that's why a lot of us will go, that's off. Yeah. You know, you're already writing down a miss or yeah. something. I don't know why I thought it was good. It was off to the left. And then it, and then it's, you know, swished. And I was like, wow. I just let out a small light. Oh, you got it. Yeah. Like that's uh, when that left his hand, I was oh, he got it, and yeah. that it went down. So yeah. it was good. Yeah, look, great ending. We got our buzzer beater of March Madness, absolutely fantastic. And as you said, you know, when we were talking earlier, we're kind of coming to the part of the year where not everything's slowing down, but we're ramping up in other spots, right? So we're getting to the national championship, and it's now the last week of the regular season in the NBA. The arduous journey that is the association is coming to an end. The National Hockey League regular season is coming to an end. So this is a great time of year. And I figured, like, when you're looking around, because we had some NBA news this week. I don't know if you saw this, mm. but they were they agreed to a new seven-year yeah, deal no on work CBA. Stoppage. Yeah, you no would, work I mean, stoppage. You would have been in – I mean – Work stoppage for me. Well, not only that, but you would have been – I mean, we wouldn't have had you on. You'd been kind of depressed. You'd been in the doldrums. And we were like, when's JVT coming out of his Aaron Rodgers dark hole? That is my only value. I know no other sport. Yeah, because in non-garbage time. That's right. That's, that's all I know. That's why, by the way, I put that in – because I've gotten hit with that before. It was like – somebody hit me with a – a couple of years ago. It was like, well, you don't really like college basketball. And I was like, huh? what? Like I, I used to cook, I used to cover college basketball. I'm like, yeah, I love yeah. college. What are we talking about? So anyway, new seven year deal for the CBA, so I don't have to be out of work. But I thought there were some really outside of. I'm not going to break down the new salary umbrella and all the nonsense, you know, the the minutia of all of that. But I thought there were some really interesting points that came out of the CBA, Willie. And it does involve Las Vegas, by the way. Yeah. So for those who don't remember, there was bantied about in December talks of an in-season tournament for the association that they were going to do at the beginning of the year before Christmas to kind of drum up a little bit more excitement, get players to be a little bit more engaged uh, in terms of being playing games and whatnot. So that was approved as part of the CBA. And the, the, the details of the actual tournament, you know, the actual regular season games at the beginning of the year, they'll still count towards your regular season record, but it'll all lead up as part of group play to an eight-team tournament, right? Uh. And and. Go ahead, and then okay. I'm going to tell you where, in my opinion, where they tested this model. Okay, so yeah, they, so they lead it up to a knockout stage of eight teams, final four, set at a neutral site. Las Vegas was the first city that was thrown out in the reports about this, so we could get a final four of NBA teams here in a midseason tournament out in Las Vegas. So it's good for the city. I don't know if people will care. It's a five hundred thousand dollar bonus for each player. Guys at the end of the roster will care. I don't know if LeBron James is going to care, but. It's a midseason tournament that we might actually get another event out here in Las Vegas. I think it's a cool deal. 
WNBA has Commissioner's the Cup, Commissioner's yep. Cup series where they get points for, and at the end so last year it was Las Vegas and Chicago, and then whoever I think whoever has the higher seed that's who hosts it. Oh, okay, so, and it you know I believe the the final doesn't count toward the standard, but everything else they take points from there, and whoever has the higher points they meet. It's the exact same thing. So so in a sense, it's the same thing. Yeah, the last the last championship game or the championship game, if you will, that'll be an eighty third game for those teams. That will not count to the final regular season. But hey, Las Vegas getting another event. I am totally down with it. Speaking of events out here in Las Vegas, well, it's not gonna be out here. Vegas Golden Knights, though. They have a game. Minnesota Wild. Let's check in on what's happening there. Seller McClellan's going to join us next. Minnesota Wild NHL reporter for the Star Tribune. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez. Or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. That's the other way. The Barbashev saves. Eichel sprung Barbashev. Flurry makes a blocker stop. Now in the middle of the shot, they score! Brad Howden rips it by Flurry. Right down the slot. Golden Knights 3, Wild 1. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Thanks, Dan Duba, for the call there from the Saturday victory for the Vegas Golden Knights. We have a rematch coming up here, huh? Tonight, let's get the, as the kids say, Nah, I was going to say that. That's too cheesy. Let's get the information on this matchup. Sarah McClellan's nice enough to join us. Minnesota Wild NHL reporter for the Star Tribune. Sarah, we appreciate the time. So I'm going to open this by asking it in this way. So I'm a big NBA guy, and the NBA has gone more into these like home-and-home series. And a lot of the times you will see the bounce-back effect. Team that lost the first time around will come back, have a much stronger effort, sometimes win, but more just more competitive. And the market, in terms of the betting market, really believes that the team is in a strong bounce-back position have we seen that in the NHL this year? Are these home and homes? Are we seeing some bounce backs from teams that lost the first matchup coming back home? I think in some cases, you know, it, it kind of starts to build not only the rivalry, but I, I think like a playoff type yep. series. And, you know, they, you know, when they're scouting men, it's, you know, it's a lot of the same material. It's obviously set up for kind of a read and react situation, you know, like in the Wilds case to look at what they did wrong, uh, what they can fix, you know, for example, you know, Vegas' speed. Um, you know, really took over that game on Saturday. So how do they adjust today? Um, you know, I, I think that's obviously the opportunity at hand. But, it, it, you know, in the Wilds case tonight, too, I mean, their motivation, they can clinch. They still don't have that X next to their name in the standing. So they can clinch a playoff position tonight with a win. Um, or at least, I think, you know, by getting a point and having, having another loss elsewhere around the league, I think if the Predators lose, and they get at least a point they're in as well. So I think that, too, um, probably, you know, like I said, just kind of adds to the motivation in, in getting this rematch tonight. Speaking with Sarah McClellan from the Minneapolis Star and Tribune. And speaking to John's point, the Wild happened to be 4-1. and one. Uh, They're on a 4-1 and one run in the second game of a home-and-home home situation. Also, the home team has won six of the last seven meetings. So, Sarah, with this Minnesota team um, – Really, this run started, I want to say, back in mid-February because mid since February 17th, they ranked number two in the NHL with 36 points. They have allowed a league low 2.09 goals per game in that span. And over those 22 games, they've only lost twice in regulation. What's changed? Yeah, I think this run started maybe just a couple games after Vegas came into Minnesota and won like 5-1. Uh, you know, it was just a... a a very convincing win for Vegas and obviously a very tough loss for the Wild. 
I think a few games after they really started to settle in and obviously go on this tear that, like you said, been among the best in the NHL since. I think they really kind of settled back into their defensive identity. Um, you know, this team's at its best when it gives up two goals or less a night. So I think you saw that. They were really stingy in their own end. Um, but they've also had some different players step up offensively. And really, a chunk of this run has been without Kirill Kaprizov, their leading right. scorer. He got hurt at the beginning of March. So they've played now almost a month without him, um, but they've still picked up quite a few points. Matt Boldy obviously has been leading the charge offensively. Uh, he has 12 goals in his last 11 games. But it, the balance and the depth has been there. The fourth line, you know, Ryan Reeves, he's had a handful of goals. And so they've had different players step up. Um, you know, step into the lineup and, you know, really provide on most nights, you know, I, I think on Saturday to only score once, that was the first time that happened in, since the beginning of March. Um, you know, they've had players step up. They've had the, the opportunistic scoring, but really they've just settled back into being a defensively sound team. And it starts from their crease out, obviously, with the tandem of Marc-Andre Fleury and Philip Gustafson. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned Ryan Reeves, and, and, and I had spoken to him that when uh, at practice on Friday just about, you know, this out of nowhere, this offensive burst. He said he's got to take advantage of it when it happens because it's not too often. But also another local fan favorite, obviously, still Marc-Andre Fleury. Was on a nice run. He had won eight of his last nine, of previous nine starts um, before Saturday, and he's really starting to sort of come into form. It, it usually happens about this time. Um, he he's got to be an integral part, both on and off the ice and in the locker room for these guys. For sure, and like I said, they've been playing both goalies, but you know both goalies have been winning. It it really hasn't you know too often been a situation where their goaltending has let them down they've been really really stingy and it is kind of a unique dynamic because you do have the veteran and Marc-Andre Fleury the future Hall of Famer you know a three-time Stanley Cup champion he brings that experience and especially like you said this time of the year he's been really productive in the net when he's been in there they've been able to win a lot of games and then you have Gustafson who this is his first you know extended stint in the NHL the team acquired him in the offseason for Cam Talbot from Ottawa. Um, and he's earned, you know, so many starts this season because he's been so effective. He has the second best save percentage and goals against average in the league behind only Linus Allmark, who I think many believe will probably win the Vesna Trophy as the league's top goalie. So um, they've had a really effective tandem. The veteran, you know, the youngster, I think, you know, obviously it hasn't really mattered too often who's played in that because um, they've both been steady, and I think it's just fed into, like I said, their defensive hockey, how strong they've been in their own end, and obviously it's, it's, they're kind of built from there. It's kind of a throwback. You think of yeah. the Wild in like the early 2000s, the mid-2000s, and that stingy defensive 3-2 type hockey, it's, it's been brought back this season by this team for sure. Once again, speaking with Sarah McClellan from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. So let me ask you this, because his uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's last year with Pittsburgh, we all know, last couple of years, right, Matt Murray was coming in, and they were splitting time, and then all of a sudden he took over. He comes out here, becomes the big star, face of the franchise. Robin Leonard comes in. They have to learn how to share time. And now he's doing – Do you? has anyone asked him, like, has – that those final year or two in Pittsburgh and then those final couple years here, did that sort of prepare him mentally? Has it made it easier for him to sort of share the net? I, you know, I'm not sure how, how he's viewed it, but I, I think, you know, it's 
kind of been the setup since he got to Minnesota. You know, it was a very similar situation last season with Cam Talbot. Obviously, Flurry came in at the trade deadline. And I think there was a stretch there where they, like, literally rotated every other game. And, and it really kind of made you wonder at the time, okay, who's going to start come playoff time? And obviously it was Flurry. They brought him in at the deadline. He was the starter, and he played you know, about one of those playoff games last year against St. Louis in the first round. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of been the way the Wild have operated. And you know, I think they keep in mind, obviously, his age and the workload and the grind, especially this time of year where it's seemingly an every-other-day pace. I think they've been very mindful of that and just managing that workload and having to kind of carry the torch. It just seems like more and more goaltending is trending in that direction in the league because of the schedule, because of how important games are, because of how tight the standings are. It's really tough, I think, to saddle one goalie with 70 games. I, you know, I think the teams that find that balance really thrive. So um, for Fleury, I, I think that's just kind of been the way it's been since he's been here. And obviously he's had that experience, like you mentioned before, in other stops. But, you know, the Wild, I think, like I said, been very conscious about just kind of splitting that load. But, you know, we'll see what happens come playoff time. Um, last season, like I said, they went with one goalie for most of the series. We'll see if they take a similar approach some playoff time this year. Speaking of balance, so Sarah, this is an interesting spot too, right? Because uh, the Vegas Golden Knights are a team that I would think the Minnesota Wild would hopefully want to see, right? Because they're going to get to the postseason. What's the balance like of playing in a high leverage game here like where you said? Do you want to clinch your spot, but also maybe not want to show too much of your hand, right, to an opponent that you might see a little bit further down the road? Yeah, I think these games are good for them. You know, there was a, there was a stretch, I think, a few weeks ago when the Wild played a couple teams that weren't in a playoff position. And they just kind of sagged a little bit. And, you know, maybe it is part of the grind. And, it's, it's, you know, it was end of March and beginning of April. You know, the schedule can, can, you know, be taxing. But I think as much as they can mimic playoff-type stakes, a playoff-type atmosphere, the competition that they'll face come playoff time, I think this is just good test for them. Because I think a lot of their success this season has been in that scenario. They win a lot of one-goal games. They don't usually melt down in third periods. They're really strong when it gets to extra time and overtime or shootout. So I think the more that they can get familiar with that type of atmosphere, that type of pressure, games that seemingly are decided in one moment on one play, I think that's just great tune-up for the playoffs. So I think seeing Vegas again, this chance to atone for Saturday, a rematch, um, I, I think it's a great bounce-back opportunity, and again, it's probably just going to simulate what they're going to see in a couple weeks from playoff time. Sarah McClellan, again, covering the Wild in the NHL for the Star Tribune. Sarah, we appreciate some time today. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. Thanks, Sarah. What do you think? I have talked to some NHL, but look, because I enjoy the sport of hockey, I've not been able to watch on a day-to-day basis. I have talked to some hockey betters who have circled Vegas as a potential team to play against once you get to the postseason. I know they've got everything cinched up in terms of a spot, but the people I've talked to, there are some cracks in the armor that are maybe. Well, going I think to be I think the majority of the people that are saying that is because of the goaltender situation. Yeah. It's it's up in the air. Logan Thompson, their all star goalie, is on the shelf again, and um, you know, so so we don't know who their number one is going into the postseason. If Logan Thompson's not available, is it going to be Laurent Brassois who's all of a sudden playing better than he was when he first came off the uh, injured reserve list, or and then he had spent some time with the Henderson Silver Knights? Um, is it going to be the veteran Jonathan Quick who has a Stanley Cup ring, but he's showing his age? But the thing is, with, with a guy like that, you come to a playoff team, 
a playoff caliber team that has that's seeded number one right now, you sort of get new life breathed into you. And all of a sudden, the motivation of being inside of a positive locker room, being with guys who can uplift you, being inside of a facility where, you know, you can sort of regenerate some youth, if you will, get the right treatment. Who knows what Quick's uh, capable of doing? So it, I think that's the biggest reason why, because of the goaltenders. Thing is, as long as this team's healthy, the defense is incredible. Yeah, it's it, well, and it's an interesting prospect too, only because if these people are right, it's a highly rated team by the market. So right, you're going to find some big plus market. prices, yeah, right. in, in playing against them at that point. All right, Cofield and Company, Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Steve Cofield. Willie Ramirez is here. Von Tobel y los Vatos. When we come back. The women's national championship came in college basketball was freaking awesome. So, of course, we're going to talk about everything but the actual game that transpired on Sunday.